it's it's important now that I have I started the book and now that it is published I wanted the public to know what happens to the family who has had someone murdered Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have author Susan Ayers Wimbro, whose debut novel, Death Is My Life, is coming out in September 2018. The story follows a young girl named Elizabeth Barclay and her family in the wake of the brutal murder of Elizabeth's mother. It is an event which transforms her life in the most unexpected way. She becomes the comforting face of her uncle's funeral home. And in doing so, death became her life. Susan also happens to own The Greyhound, an indie bookstore in Berlin, Maryland. So there's a lot to talk about today, and so welcome to the podcast, Susan. Well, thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate it. It's an honor, and I have looked forward to it. I was hoping that someday I would be invited. (laughs) So when you invited me after I published, I was really honored, and I thank you. Thank you very much. Of course. And I also want to congratulate Tony on his podcast, This Is War. (laughs) Thanks. We are very proud of you in the Maryland Writers Association. I feel like Stephanie probably told you, if you mention it early, he probably won't mention it later, but I'll mention it later anyway. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) He's always going to mention it. Well, I feel like there's a lot that I, I mean, I've We've been looking forward to this podcast with you for probably about a year and a half now because you and I have been working on uh, your your book, Death Is My Life, that for about a year and a half now. That's right. And um, we've finally brought it to fruition now. Yes. And I just want to kind of go back a little bit and if you wouldn't mind, kind of inform some of the people, you know, the folks who listen to this show where the inspiration for death is my life where did that come from well as writers as we all know we're all writers sitting around the table today and as you know we write about what we know and i have been i'm retired now but i have been in funeral service over 40 years so i have lots of funeral stories And I started out with, I will write short stories. I will compile them um, and write about the experiences that I've had in funeral service. And that, as you know, completely changed. Um, After I retired, and I retired to write, uh, I started the book. I had already started it probably around five years ago. I've always loved to write. And when the, um, on HBO, when the show came out, um, Six Feet Under, mm-hmm. as yeah. you all remember, and the first episode I watched, I thought, hmm, I have better stories than this, or hmm, <laughs> I can do better than that. As bizarre as it was, um, it was, you know, it's a bizarre occupation, really, sure. to be in. Sure. So I started writing down stories whenever I had the opportunity. So with that, I had compiled, as I said, many, many stories. So when I retired, I thought, now's the time. So I, I knocked on the door to Saltwater Media, and from there, um, Stephanie helped me, and I moved on, and, and she said, well, you need to join the Maryland Writers Association. And with that, I met 
a plethora of talent and people and who have all become my dear friends. And um, Barbara Lockhart's book was put in my hands. And, and that was the Requiem. Uh, Requiem for a Summer for Cottage. A summer Cottage. Which is a wonderful, wonderful book. Isn't it? Oh, so, so beautiful, so lyrical. However, I read between the lines and I realized this lady had a story and it wasn't always a happy one. Hmm. And when I closed the book, when I finished the book, I could not put it down. And I closed the book and I said, I have a story as well. And the first part of my book is the story um, that I wanted to get out. And I didn't realize I wanted to write about this until I read hers. And she, I called her, we met, and she gave me the courage to go on and write the story. And I did in the book. So it became very, very, it's a very, very dark beginning which the second part is very light, even though funeral stories can be light. Right. Um, it is both ways. So that's sure. what I did. And I think one of the things that we sort of want to say at the out front is that um, as writers, we look to other writers for inspiration and, and for guidance. I know Tony and I frequently do that with each other. You know, if one of us is stuck on something, you know, we sort of bounce the ideas off each other. I, I like to break because <laughs> there are people who are in critique groups and I like to say, I don't have to go to meet with anybody on a Saturday. I just have Stephanie and Jeff and I'll be like, could you look at this for me? And that's, that's my critique group. Well, that you're Tony, right there. I yeah. agree. And I think sometimes if you are just starting out, the more criticism you have, um, you lose, you know, faith in what you are doing right. and you lose your confidence. And uh, just like Barbara says, in my doubt, I keep believing, I keep on believing mm. and you have to believe in yourself. And the other thing with writing, I didn't realize how arduous it would be and how disciplined I am a, a disciplined person, but I had to be disciplined to write every day. And I wrote every day. I walk in the park. I would do my three to five miles in the mornings. I would come home, take a shower, actually dress. I've always dressed for work. I wouldn't dress like I was working a funeral, but right. I would yeah. dress, I'd sit at my desk, and I would sit at the desk from 11 a.m. until four, five o'clock when it was time to take the Greyhounds for a walk. Mm -hmm. And I did that every day for a year and a half, including Christmas, and in order to get the book out. But you have to be disciplined and you get in that routine. And a day that you miss, if you do happen to miss a day, you really do miss what you're doing. And it does become a passion, it becomes a love. It's very arduous. I'm a people person. It's very, very lonely. Mm. And as um, Stephen King says, it is the analogy of crossing the Atlantic in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we we actually spoke with uh, Andrew Heller about this last week. The um, the idea of making sure that you sit down and get the work done. You know, so. I, I say this. I say this all the time. So many people want to be writers, but there aren't a lot of people that want to actually write. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. I think. I think a lot of people say I want to be a writer, but what they really mean is I want to day drink and not be judged. <laughs> <laughs> 
and so especially for your first time out to have that kind of like drive to get it done you know it also gives you the opportunity to kind of do like a crash course in you know, because starting out with a novel is tough. You know, I'm, I'm, I was fortunate when I started out, you know, I, I, I started out writing, you know, newspaper articles and, and shorter things where, you know, I could do a 600 words, 1200 words. You know, I didn't start off with 180,000 words. Or, <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think that was one of the things that I really felt about Susan's novel was this story, whether or not she knew it has been kind of percolating in her mind has been percolating you know this is a very personal story for you i mean elizabeth barclay is based on your life and, and things that happen actually to your mom correct um and so i think when you have a story that has been sitting with you since you were six years old five years old um and then you kind of come to a point where you have a revelation with Barbara Lockhart. I too have had my own revelations sitting mm -hmm. in Barbara Lockhart's house. Um, when you have that revelation of like, this thing has been percolating and, and kind of bubbling beneath the surface. And then you have that moment where you're like, it's time. Sometimes it just comes out in a flood, which Correct. did. And then mm -hmm. it becomes the job of like editing and revisions yeah, to kind of shape it, to, to shape, shape it. it. For right. sure, but I think that I was so, I was so astounded by, you know, you picked this thing up and it was just like on day one you just ran a marathon. Yeah, and I was uh -huh. like, man, I got a book of short stories I did ten years ago, <laughs> and I'm still, I'm still, you know, burning on that energy. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank so, you. So when I heard about the project, I was very excited. So can you tell, can you tell everybody what the book is about and, um, and. Because we keep we keep alluding to like, oh, I can't believe you had the courage to tell this story. And people are like, <laughs> what's the story? In 1961 in Norfolk, Virginia, um, my mother was stalked, murdered and raped in that order by the maintenance man. And with that, um, it's a very bizarre. I don't want to give away the story, but it sure. is a very bizarre crime. And it took nine years to finally, the court system, to finally end everything going on. And the man that, that did it, the murderer, is still in Richmond Penitentiary. He is now 81 years old. And every year the parole board contacts me and I have to go through the steps. Um, I wanted to, when I started writing... I'm sorry, I want to redirect you. Go through the steps to tell them that there are still people out there from the time of this crime and that he still presents a danger. That is correct. Yeah. And I, I just felt like when I started writing it, um, my family was, we're, we're high Episcopalians, I'll be honest, and, you know, um, romances and finances, let alone death, were right. always swept under the Oriental and were never talked about. So it was hush, hush. And by writing this story, people, and they know what I'm writing about, people have talked to me. It's been very, very healing. And I've been able to share with people. I hope this book has inspired people um, that we all have heartache 
in life. Not one human being goes through life without heartache and hurt. And But we can derive a strength and a courage to get through each day. And I honored my grandmother and, and dedicated the book to her. It's in her memory because she was such a steel magnolia and raised me through this difficult period. Um, going back to the court cases, it became a question and actually a trial through psychiatrists sane versus insane. Oh, I see. And it was very, you know, detailed and with the crime and that kind of thing. Um, but this this lady, my grandmother that I honor in this book, is a person that raised me to be normal. And she was very, very strong. So that's, that's good. Good. And I thought, kind of tagging on to that, that it was interesting both for you as well as, you know, for the course of the novel that this horrific murder happens, this incredibly tragic death happens. And that is the direction in which, you know, you and sort of Elizabeth Barclay kind of parallel each other and you sort of gravitate not in sort of a, not in sort of a, a dark sort of can't let go of death kind of thing, but really becoming the comforting face. I mean, you're, you're a beautiful woman. And I, I think that you, that's Stephanie. like, you know, that Aww. to, for someone to walk in and see a kind face. Yes. No, in such absolutely. in such a terrible moment. I just think it's such an interesting kind of spin on what might be anticipated. Only in, because of my own funeral experiences, it's, you know, a lot of times they're very, very somber. Not a lot of women in the, in the industry correct and very not somber then. right not then actually well, when I, I first started yeah i as far as i know not, not I, usually i just have the the very very serious young young gentlemen sometimes older a little bit more dour gentlemen but not <laughs> not, not 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 a lot of women and, and and there is that there is that kind of serenity that you you personally have a serenity that that must have served you well uh, i wanted to ask when you come up in that business, is it is it the, is it ever a discussion about are you going to stay in the family business or are you going to do something else? Because a lot of the generational businesses have that, but um, I know that. And again, just just my personal experience, a lot of and son and son and son and son, not right. not a whole lot of and daughter. Well, it's very interesting, and I think that I was not in the family business. And I started dating someone at a very young age. I was in business school, and he was actually a banker. And he had worked in the local funeral home. And when he was in college, he went to work at other funeral homes. And when he was in the Army, he went to work all over the United States in different funeral homes. And I think he gathered all the information and knowledge on how to run a funeral home with the intent of someday he was coming back home and buying the funeral home. So when we started dating, I had been, of course, sheltered from death. So I jumped into this different world. I mean, of all occupations, right. I had to jump into it. And I think of what I had been, I think now, when I look back on it, 
what I had been through as a child and learning as an older, you know, young girl, learning what had happened is the impetus of why I've stayed in funeral service for over 40 some years. So we did buy a funeral home eventually, and that's where I have my stories. Oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> One of the things I do remember when you were talking about the book is that you were very ginger about what you presented because because it is a very it's a very personal business, and and you don't want people who you've worked with in the past to feel like they're seeing themselves or to feel like you've Correct. borrowed from them. Right. Um, and so and how did you, how did you affect that? How did you, how did you make that happen? Well, what I did is I would take, um, I recalled certain um, family situations and funerals that I thought that maybe the public or the right, I would, the reader of my writing would be interested in. And I put a very creative twist on it. Mm. And that's how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> just to, just to, and the idea is, because there's also kind of like a professional shielding. Yes, definitely. Almost definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was one of the things that I noticed when in the book, as we're kind of going over these different types of funeral stories, there's one that's incredibly sad and yes. incredibly, um, like, I will never forget that scene ever. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't do any spoilers but there's one particular scene um that just haunts me there's another one that's hilarious there's another <laughs> one that you know is just bizarre and i and i would imagine that that is basically the funeral service it's it is everything from just the the full spectrum of, correct and of all the types of stories and all walks of life and i was able to hopefully help someone along the way mm. get through a very difficult time in their life. And um, if you can do that, you know, in funeral service, when you put your head down on the pillow at night and think, oh, I've helped someone today, uh, you, that's that's the best. Yeah. That, that's better than the, the being paid, really. <laughs> <laughs> as you came to, as you finished your first draft, can you talk to me a little bit about the editing process? Because that's got to be... I mean, again, I was fortunate enough. I came up with editors. One of my favorite stories is I got into work one day when I'd first started and my editor was a little brisk and um, he, he had left a note. He'd left, he'd printed out my story and he left a note on it on top of my desk. It said, why in the world would anyone read this? Oh no, Tony, <laughs> I can't believe that. No, it, it, and it made me better. I think of it all the time. Um, and then, uh, and so... Like when you get to the editing editing process, you you know that people are going to say this is not, this doesn't belong here. This isn't as good as it can be. Things like that. So, were you prepared for that, and how did that work out for you? Well, I was very very fortunate. Um, after I finished writing, I edited three times oh. personally, and then I had a co-editor. Don't you know you're just supposed to slap it at somebody and say this is <laughs> this is brilliant. Don't tell me anything that's wrong with it. Fix the commas. Wow. And, and so I let um, my my husband read it as well, and he co-edited, and then I brought it to Stephanie, who edited for me on my behalf, and everything. There were no hiccups. And I'm very fortunate that way. Yeah, I know that's that, an odd story. That, that well, yes, that well actually, that's, there's sort of a caveat to that because 
the first time I got it, you had written everything in the first person. Oh yes, that is correct. I yeah, had so the first, that. yeah, yes. the first sort of like it wasn't the first full draft, but I think it was the first maybe seven chapters or something. Yes, first, I apologize. Yeah, um, well, Stephanie, I, was I, I was had like, forgotten I, that. I remember something. <laughs> yeah, and but there, yeah. So right. there was a moment where I think Susan hit when she first kind of jumped into it. She first started writing it. She had written out. The first, I don't know, three, four chapters. I mean, the first several chapters, in and she brought it to person. me. And they were all in the first person. And things sort of kind of felt, um, th- it was. it's a very heavy topic. And the first person was coming from the point of view of like a five or six-year-old. And I was like, I'm not sure this might be the right perspective mm. to deliver this information. Because a five-year-old, six-year-old might not know these pieces. Especially if they're, if you tell me that they're shielding you from this, right. how do they know it? Right. So it was a little... Right. And I said, I think if you go back and you tell this story in the third person, that's going to open up so many more possibilities. And the reader's going to be a lot less sort of confused as to why this five-year-old knows these very adult things that she would have never right. been told. Right. Um, so- so I kind of, we, we kind of sat down that and, is correct. and we went over mm-hmm. some of those things and I gave it back. And then I remember right. um, talking to Susan a few days later and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm vomiting all over the place, yeah. you know? <laughs> and it was like that, um, that sense of once we kind of flipped just that one piece of the narrative, it just opened up so much for her. And then it when did. I got the first full rough draft... I could see we had made some serious improvements and then it was just a matter of like tweaking. And one of the things that I found in the, in the draft that, that I went over when I got it the second time was, um, the, the thing that I sort of noticed the most was that there's a little bit of dyslexia, I guess. To, to <laughs> some of the, yeah. So there was like the, some of the ends of the sentences should really been the front of the oh, sentence. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know what? That, that's a, that's also a new writer thing. People, yeah. people, people do that when they, you know, I think a lot of times you you want to, and I'm sorry, this is me. This is not projecting on anyone in this room, <laughs> but I know a lot of the times I wanted to seem like I was better at it than I really was. So I'm like, well, if you write, if you flip those sentences, they'll they'll be more impressive. And now when I see them, I'm like, well, yeah, but it, they are more impressive, but they also make me stop and say, why did you say it in that order? Instead of, yeah, you know, they, right. they, they, they can be invasive. Right. Um, but But that's something, again, like, first first time out it's it's but i will say the first time out i thought susan did a brilliant job of bringing all of herself all of the emotional components of the story like she brought everything you know they always say like you know leave it all in the field you know and i really felt like susan did that so once we kind of tweaked that first person versus third person it really made the difference and i it it flowed better it did it flowed much better very well so yes that that is true now, usually for the last part of the show, we ask people like what they're doing to promote it. And, you know, as we were joking beforehand to promote your book, you bought, bought a bookstore. <laughs> some people open a Twitter account. Some, some people make a mailing list. Yeah. No, Susan just buys a bookstore. Well, it, it, now that flowed as, as well. Um, I, all my, I'm a great list maker and bucket list to be exact and on the bucket list was to write a novel and on the back burner of my bucket list was to open a bookstore someday 
And when my husband and I travel, we do a lot of um, historic towns to take the Greyhounds on a Saturday to go to a historic town. We always end up in an indie bookstore. And we walk out and we look at each other. Why doesn't Berlin have one? Amen. And I have the good fortune of inheriting my great-grandfather's general store, and it's called the Ayers Building in Berlin, and it is on Main Street. And I had a tenant call. The tenant that was there called me in June and said because of health reasons, she was going to have to retire. And my husband and I looked at each other and we said, well, if not now, when? So hence, now we have the Greyhound and Indy Bookstore. So that's a great way to sell my book. (laughs) There will be be other books in there. (laughs) But but, but all in the back. Yeah, it's just going to be like shelves of death is my life (laughs) as far as the eye can see. (laughs) And Stephanie and Tony's, of course. Of course. I mean, yeah. We'll go further back, maybe. (laughs) Did you run into like putting it together? Was it because you've already run a business and I feel like that gives you a leg up on persons who haven't run a business before. But it really like, was does. what were there any stumbling blocks? Was there any surprise along the way dealing with publishers or or I guess you deal with um, the distributors. distributors and things like that? No, not no, none. It's just been it's just flowed. No hiccups. Um, Right. I started, I thought about it. um, Actually, summer solstice was the day I'll Mm. never forget. And we are now renovating. Uh, We're in the process. It's been a busy summer renovating the Ayers building for this bookstore, opening a bookstore and publishing a novel to say that this summer has been a whirlwind. Yeah. (laughs) Would be correct. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, I mean, we, we joke about it. You know, you wrote a book and was like, well, I'll just have a bookstore and sell it. But I feel like the two things really sort of are, are coming kind of at a complimentary time. You know, I mean, they, they always say that, you know, when the stars align, you know, these sorts of things will happen. And when Susan decided she was going to announce that the bookstore was coming, she let me do it. Mm. And I will tell you, the most popular Instagram, the most pop post, uh, the most popular Facebook post I have ever had was not even about my own business. Right. The most popular <laughs> post I ever had as Saltwater Media was to tell people that the Greyhound bookstore was coming to town. And we had pe- we've had people calling here. We've had people coming in the door. People have stopped us on the street. And I know that you said yes. there for the first couple of weeks, like right. when we announced and it, like you couldn't go anywhere. And still, my husband and I are literally stopped on the street, restaurants, you know, and anywhere we go. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for their support. It's been just encouragement and support. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Do you think the whole time you wanted to tell the story of your childhood or do you think that that really just came to you later? Like, do you think this this notion that you wanted to do this kind of collection of short stories, was that your way of circling around? You know, Tony, I really do. Um, it's it's important now that I have I started the book and now that it is published, I wanted the public to know what happens to the family who has had someone murdered. Um, What happens to the nucleus 
of not only the family, for instance, my family was devastated, um, the co-workers of my mother, several co-workers who she was close with, they had to leave their jobs. Um, a couple of neighbors that she lived next to and my father, they had to move. Um, my father threw himself, he, bless his heart, he is, is uh, deceased. My father never got, got over it. And he threw himself into um, his work um, and unfortunately martinis, which I write about. Mm. So he was never able to have another relationship or remarry, loved her dearly, because other ladies have told me they dated my father, but they could not compete with a ghost. My grandfather, my mother's father, uh, ended up uh, with shock trauma, had to go to shock trauma, shock treatments, and go through a series of those which consequently he died of a heart attack four years later. And with each trial that came up, a little bit more of him, you know, yeah. life decreased. So he died. So that left my grandmother alone to raise this little girl. And my father traveled. Um, he was an exec for Reuben Donnelly in Virginia, and he would go to different um, areas of the state to open up branches. So he was unable to raise a little girl because of his traveling. Mm -hmm. So the, the the nucleus of the family, friends, associates, and I was I was just told, and I had heard this before, but someone reiterated this to me yesterday, that this town, meaning Berlin, Maryland. This town was devastated. This town was hurt. Um, this town signed a petition for this person to never enter Berlin, Maryland again. And uh, back back then in 1961, the communities, this was small town Americana. Right. Um, communities were tight and they looked after one another. So for that, I'll always be grateful to Berlin, Maryland, a town that I love. <laughs> And I think the other thing, too, is that in sort of tacking on to what Tony's saying, you know, sitting in Barbara's house and, you know, kind of coming to these epiphanies, one of the pieces of advice Barbara always gave me is that, you know, you have to feel it. And if your writer, if your reader doesn't feel anything, then what is, why bother with it? And I think maybe that kind of, kind of circles back to you, you have, deeply felt your whole family deeply felt what happened mm -hmm. at that in that horrible crime and it it has to surface somewhere and i feel mm -hmm. like in especially in reading and talking with you that this book really sort of felt cathartic in in that in that way very much so very much so but also i have to say on a lighter note that barbara told me one time she said now susan don't write this book I, I said something about I'm using I'm quoting somebody in this in this book and I said it's language that I really wouldn't use normally and she said you've got to write the story and just keep in mind 
your grandmother is not looking over your shoulder. Right. Write it the way it should be written. And I said, okay, okay. Yeah, you got to do that permission. Yeah. Give myself right, permission. Right, thing. Yeah. because she said she had to do the same thing with her mother. You know, I, mother's not looking over my shoulder as I'm reading well, this. Well, they don't want us to use curse words and things like that. <laughs> you know, it's just not ladylike. No, and my mother has my mother has a lot of difficulty listening and reading to the things that I do because I'm never gentle with my language. <laughs> <laughs> Poor mama Russo. Yeah, and she kind of you know she kind of half rolls her eyes. I mean, you know, I'm 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 knocking on fifty. You know, I know some I know some curse words. Yeah, my mom is. <laughs> I, I know my mom reads pretty much everything I do and I and there's sometimes I really want to break bad but I'm like my mom is gonna hate that know, you know so I'm know. still working on giving myself right, permission right. yeah yourself permission and the other thing I started writing and I realized with my writing that this was a very inspirational book and I guess because of years of helping people in the grieving process this actually will help people that are grieving and hurting I certainly hope so. I think so, because I think they'll see that there is an arc to pain. You know, it is sharp at the beginning and it dulls over time. But, you know, I I think people will be able to see the the arc of that in, in death is my life. Thank you. All right, Stephanie, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being here on the podcast, and especially thank you for opening the Greyhound and Indie Bookstore in our in our town of Berlin. You are more than welcome. It's been a pleasure and an honor. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.